Hey everyone, it's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Tux Time podcast from FinTech Today, where we talk about all things FinTech. And today I am so excited to have Koki Haziotis of Lasagna Technology back with me because we've got a lot to dive into per usual. Koki, how are you doing? I'm good, Jules. How are you? I am good. Today we have like two t- two of the three topics are very similar, and then one you could not get more different than the other two. <laughs> Great. Uh, let's start with that. Yeah, let's start with the, the random one. So the 401k business, I don't think we've ever talked about this one on here before. Oh, uh, I don't think so either. I The only way I've done... Di- I've, dived into it before is just I used to cover Betterment and they have a 401k offering. Um, It's definitely smaller than what their other offerings are, but we've started to see more companies try to jump into this space a little bit, which I completely understand that the 401k space is in need of some change. Like, do you have a 401k plan or no? Because you bounced Uh, around different places, so. No. So um, my thing is that when I first lived in the States, when I was working, I couldn't get a 401k for a year through my job and I hated my job. So I was like, I don't want to tether myself to this more. And I was 22. I didn't fucking know what I was doing. So I was like, whatever, never mind. Um, then I moved to the UK obviously for three years and I have a pension, thank God. Um, but that's a whole different problem. And then it came back to the States. I worked for a company that had just landed from the UK. We hadn't yet established a 401k plan when I was fired and they shut off the program. Uh, then I went to the block and I did get, I did have a 401k, but I didn't stay long enough to start putting stuff into it. So the answer is no, I don't have a 401k. But I have been talking to my family's financial planner a lot about it. And he's like, we should set them up for your company. And I'm like, this seems like a missed opportunity. Why can't I just get a 401k as a private citizen? So yeah, so the 401k space, I've always had one. I was at one media company and then another one. So I like rolled it over into the new one when I moved over. And then now like we don't have one at FinTech today because it's just me and Ian. Um... But our, uh, in the future, I would love to use one of these startups doing it. It's just, it's easier for us to say that versus a massive company for a variety of reasons, right? Like a, a massive company like Bloomberg, where I was before, they're not reevaluating their 401k plan every year, like every few years. And then the other thing is getting someone like that to use a startup is so much harder than a startup to use a startup because whoever's making that decision, it's easier for them to justify using an empower, which is the one that a lot of people use. That's the one that we had at Bloomberg. Even if it's not as good, it's just like, well, everyone uses empower. So like, that's why we went with it and whatnot. Whereas if you use a startup and the startup fails or something goes wrong with the startup, then you've got your boss on your ass saying like, well, why did we go with the startup on this? Like we should have used an incumbent, like with all this street credibility and whatnot. So That's part of the reason that while I'm bullish on there being a lot of changes in this space, I don't know that now is the right time. It's good that someone like a Betterment has deals with companies like Casper and Boxed and some of these larger startups. Um, I believe in the announcement that they made this week where they will now be available to um, Zenovitz customers, another um, company that does a lot of benefits for different companies, like now 401k or healthcare and all these other things. Um, 
I think that will help them to get in front of more startups. But the problem is, I'm sure there's a bunch of startups that use them that end up failing, right? And then you spent all that money onboarding them, acquiring them, etc. And then they're just gone. Whereas a massive company like Bloomberg has a bunch of employees, so you're by definition going to make more money. And then two, Bloomberg's not going to fail, right? Like there's a very good chance that it stays stable, if not grows over the next five to 10 years. Um, so that that's why I find it very complicated. And I don't know that if now is quite right. But I also don't know what situation we'd have to be in for the timing to be right. Would it just be these CFOs at companies being more willing to test out new things? I don't know. Like, um, I think there's a lot that needs to happen, but it might also just be on the startups grinding through this space and getting VC backers that are going to be willing to hold on for a while. Yeah. And by the way, if FinTech Today wants to get a 401k, I've officially worked here for a year as of like two <laughs> weeks from now. And I would love that. Thank you very much. <laughs> there you go. There, I would love to have a 401k uh, with FinTech Today too. I still technically have one. I actually rolled it over to Betterment once I didn't have to use Empower anymore because Obviously, if you have a 401k at a company, you don't get to pick which company you have a 401k with, Empower, Betterment, one of the other zillion providers you have out there. The only time you get to choose is once you move on, then you can put that money, roll it over into whatever 401k you want. So I've used Betterment now for a few months, and it's so much better than what the other ones are. My balance updates like instantly versus every couple of days, the customer service is better. I find it easier to understand what my money is actually in. Uh, it's so just like the user experience, the user interface is just ages better than what the other one is, as well as I believe it is lower fee than what my Empower account was as well. That's awesome to hear. Um, yeah, and which like, is very robo style. <laughs> right, and I'm into it. Uh, yeah, I will definitely be looking into them and to many others when it comes to 401ks for the lasagna mm -hmm. employees that are yet to be hired. Hi, guys. Can't wait to hire you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely something that's top of mind for me um, as I think about growing my own company and think about kind of that journey. I'm very cautious about hiring because of course I want to be able to be in a position to really take care of my employees, which means like a super high match and all sorts of other stuff that have to do with the 401k and general benefits. So that's again to say, please get me a 401k. <laughs> I don't know that contractors would get 401ks at, at FinTech. But today, I'm though. so nice to you. If, if we do give one contractor a 401k, it would 100% be you, hands down. You Tattoo have my that word. to my body. Put it on my tombstone. <laughs> uh, so the other topics we can both jam on quite a bit here because there's things that we've talked about a lot here. It is crypto related. Um, let's, do, let's do Coinbase first because that is a company that our, our listeners have probably heard of a few times before. They're going public later in March um, as as long as everything goes to plan, they are not doing a spec. They're not even doing an IPO. They're doing a direct listing. Same thing that what Spotify is the first one that comes to mind that they did a direct listing to. Um, but before doing that, they wanted to do one last secondary offering where employees, investors would have a chance to sell some of their shares if they wanted to prior to um, them going public, just given the lockup periods that often come with that. 
Um, and in this final secondary, guess what their valuation was? $90 billion. Um, <laughs> you, don't, you don't own any Coinbase, right? We both wish we did, but we don't. <laughs> we don't. We don't. Um, can we just do a quick pause and, and talk a little bit about how that secondary works and also like who, who would reasonably sell their hairs before a very pivotal IPO? Can you talk totally. about that? Yeah. So uh, a secondary, they did it on the NASDAQ, I believe. So essentially Coinbase and the NASDAQ will get a gauge of how many people are interested in selling and how much, and they'll fill up this sort of quota. And then other funds and investors can come in and buy uh, those shares prior to the IPO. So the people that might want to sell, I could see an early employee or maybe Brian Armstrong wanted to sell a little bit just to, to get some money off the table. Because like I said, once the company does go public, you can't sell the day of the IPO, right? Like you're locked up for a little bit then. So even though you know that there's probably going to be a massive pop when it goes public, just like a firm, Lemonade, a bunch of others have seen on their first couple days of trading, there's no guarantee that that price holds for the... Each lock of period is different, but something like two, three, four months, right? Like maybe Bitcoin crashes in the next few months. And we all know that Coinbase's valuation is very heavily tied to Bitcoin and how many people are trading it. So say four months from now, Bitcoin's back at $10,000 and everyone's scared to buy or sell any of it, right? And then Coinbase's revenue goes down. That's something that would hurt their price. And who knows if it would then be lower than whatever they go public at. There's a bunch of other variables in there. So if I had, I don't know, like 50% plus of my net worth, like Brian Armstrong probably does, tied up in Coinbase, would I mind selling 5%, 10% of my stake? Probably not. I honestly um, I honestly uh, have had a little bit of a, a change on my original, like, absolute destruction of them after those that litany of bad announcements, because at least they were honest. Like... So many brands uh, were working on a little something that was on here right now that we'll see if it ever comes out, but we're working on something where we're tracking diversity initiatives that were announced during June of last year after the tragic death of George Floyd. Um, and there are a lot of companies that said they were going to do a lot of stuff that didn't do a single thing. Um, at least Coinbase was honest, even though they're misguided. Yeah, Koki's alluding to Google, Coinbase, and diversity, and you will you will find the story that that she's alluding to. Basically, Brian wants everyone to focus on making Coinbase a lot of money versus making sure that it is diversified and helping make the world a better place uh, for underserved and minorities and and this whole thing. So. If you publish this, I'm one, I'm willing to help because this sounds great. Two, we need to talk about it on here and we need to, to put it in FinTech today. I will get you a 401k just to publish that piece for me. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Yeah, I'll keep working on it. Um, you know, some of our team members, which of course I can't name names at this point, but uh, one of our team members brought this to me and I was like, fuck yeah, let's fucking do it. So um You'll be the first to know if, if it actually pops up. It's on the roadmap, though. Yay! I'm excited. Keep us posted. Uh, but also, also on the topic of crypto, uh, bouncing off of Coinbase, one of the ways that Coinbase makes money is by trading fees and the execution if you want to buy or sell Bitcoin. They obviously have other things, too, like their institutional arm, where... I, 
I don't know that this company uses them, but say Goldman Sachs wants to store some of its Bitcoin, it needs a place to safely store it. Coinbase custody for institutions is something that can help them safely do that. Um, but speaking of the other way, the trading fees and execution, this is something Jordan, my husband actually uh, realized first is, so on Square, on Cash App, you can buy or sell Bitcoin. And right now they have some Bitcoin boosts on there. So the one that we used the other day, they've done other ones too, is 10% uh, cash back in Bitcoin up to like $8 worth on a restaurant purchase. Uh, so we did it. And when he placed the order, you could look on Cash App, so on the same exact platform, not a different platform, what the price of Bitcoin was, and it was somewhere around $49,000 when he placed the order. And then he went to look to see what it executed at, and it was like 49600 so a significant markup. Um, now, when you place an actual order to execute Bitcoin, you don't necessarily notice that as much, but there is a fee. So say you want to buy $200 of Bitcoin on Cash App, it probably charges you like a three, four or five dollar fee. It's not free as in buying stocks like Robinhood, Cash App, SoFi, Schwab, others. Uh, but I posted this as a tweet and we got a ton of feedback on it. And one was one of our former guests, Frank Rotman from QED pointed out that, you know, this is great business as you can get it. The way you make money in this space is being the platform where people can buy and sell crypto because the types of markups and fees you can charge on it right now is just, it's a huge money maker. It's like having a money tree essentially. Um, have you ever noticed something like this before? Like, what do you, you use to buy and sell Bitcoin? I've only used Cash App and then I have some at SoFi too because they were running a promotion when they launched crypto. So I, I went ahead and bought some on there. I put about $1,000 into Coinbase every six weeks to buy my Bitcoin um, and Ethereum because I still stand. Um, but I... Uh, I notice every time I buy $1,000 of Bitcoin, I actually only executed $985 of Bitcoin, um, which is to say there's a $15 fee. Um, and I have had a situation where I've bought a lot more and lost a lot more because of the fees. Um, really frustrating. <laughs> it was really frustrating. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of interested in it because... Why is there a huge markup to get on chain when there isn't a huge markup for the public markets? Like when you buy and sell on public or Robinhood, um, there isn't a fee. And of course, we all know what that means. It means you're the product. But when it comes to crypto, why is that on-ramp charged? Um, and one of the things that I'm particularly interested in is thinking about the ways we can route our money to avoid the fees. So there is some evidence that stable coins will be able to do this or do do this now. Like if I buy in, if I put a thousand dollars into USDC instead, um, I can then safely move that over to Bitcoin and avoid some, if not most of the fees. Um, trading crypto to crypto is a lot cheaper um, than trading dollar to crypto. So just about finding your on-ramps, but I actually think it's, um, it's clearly making them a lot of money, so they probably won't drop it, but someone will eventually, and then we'll all go there. Um, and that seems like a pretty easy win to me. Yeah, the crazy thing to me is also that part of this 
arguable use case for Bitcoin is to be able to safely and cheaply send money around the world and just have this global currency that's going to be better than converting a dollar to the Chinese yuan into something else, right? And this just goes against that in my mind, right? Am I wrong? No, I, I think you're right. Um, and maybe, I mean, maybe I'm like, maybe I'm not, uh, I don't know, thinking this through clearly enough. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing something that I should know that I don't. Um, but to me, it seems a little preposterous. And I don't know. I, I imagine if that's how I feel, that's how the average customer feels. Because I'm probably not more sophisticated than the average Bitcoin customer, I would think. Um, and I, I think we should just like dive into, like not on here, but in a, in a broader report, just comparing all the different ways you can buy and sell Bitcoin and how much you're going to pay in fees, what the execution price typically looks like. Because from what I've heard, and I haven't confirmed this via myself because it's really hard to do, is that while Robinhood charges cheaper fees than, say, a, um, a Coinbase would, that the execution is worse. Are, like find the the issue with this is I can compare the fees, but truly figuring out how bad or good the execution is is really hard to do. You'd have to have some like I can't do it just on my computer. You'd have to have like a Bloomberg terminal or some terminal, other platform yeah. where you could really compare and contrast all of them. Maybe I'll tell my former colleagues at Bloomberg that they need to do this. Uh, but it's but, something to think about for sure mm-hmm. because I mean we are the the regulator has mandated best execution, so it's. If you can give people something for free, but you're not giving the best X, actually you're breaking the law. Um, it's definitely something to consider. We should definitely look to Europe there because they instated best execution more forcefully earlier um, with MIFID 2. So definitely something to think about. Um, and yeah, can you tell someone at Bloomberg, I want to read that article. Exactly. And remind <laughs> us what MIFID 2 is. MIFID 2 is the European version of Dodd-Frank. It is an all-encompassing financial regulation piece. Um, it covers investments, investment banking. Uh, it, it really is mostly sell side. Um, and then it has some buy side protocol, but it really does push a lot of the onus onto the sell side. Um, so you have a lot of you have pages. I remember my first like 10 days of work um, in, in regulation, like looking at FX. Um, I was made to read the best X chapter like 14 times. I still don't understand it, so that didn't really sink in. Um, but yeah, essentially, it, best execution is mandated by MIFID II. There's um, maybe four or five pages on it, and it's quite intense on how you source and find best execution and then how you settle at best acts. It's a whole thing, um, and definitely like something worth considering when we talk about crypto. But since crypto doesn't have the same regulatory scrutiny yet, it's kind of just is what it is, right? Yeah. No, I think um, especially now the confirmation hearings for Gary Gensler at the SEC last week, he talked a fair bit about crypto. So I think there will be more uh, clarity, more regulation around this space, not only because he you know, mentioned it a few times, um, but just that there's been so much added interest in there that they, the SEC uh, can't really ignore it either. No, they certainly can't, and and it makes them uh, it makes them vulnerable if they do. So I'm very interested to see what they kind of do on crypto, knowing that most of the reg proposals that have come out all over the world on crypto have been somewhat primitive. Um, 
and kind of lacked a major understanding of what crypto is trying to do um, and made parts of the parts of crypto that really make it so special, like international transfers basically for free and a whole second currency to live off of um, for people in Venezuela and Zimbabwe where um, their actual currency, the fiat currency, isn't trustworthy. Um, it kind of takes away that they'll take away that magic and they'll be like, oh, make it better for investors. And I'm like, that was never the point. That wasn't the point. <laughs> Drives me crazy. On that note, we're in time. I think we're actually over by a minute or two. Sorry, Paul, our wonderful podcast producer. You can um, edit me out, Paul, please, dear God. <laughs> uh, but that is it for today. I will see you guys again next week with uh, my co-founder, Ian. Oh, no, wait. It's not my co-founder, Ian Carr. It is John Collins from SFector. Um, he is one of our FTT experts and speaking of regulation, that's what he helps us cover. He dove into those confirmation hearings. So you will definitely hear more about that next week too. Getting ahead of myself thinking it's Ian. We have a special guest next week again, Koki. Are you excited? <laughs> Dude, I'm so excited. First of all, secret, my secret uh, love is I love regulation. So I'm really excited to listen to John. I can't wait to tune in for that and, um, continue seeing his articles in FTT, which, you know, I love. John's great. I actually called him the male version of you with his writing style and sarcasm and wittiness and everything. So sorry, uh, no one compares to me. I would I would respectfully <laughs> ask that you acknowledge my gifts. Thank you very much. In any great case, talking. you guys are in for a treat on Monday morning. Um, so tune on into that, and then again the next episode we will in fact have Koki back again a week from today. So you won't can't miss wait. That. Love being with you guys. And Thanks. good to see you, Jules. Bye, Thank Tox. you again, Koki. I'll see you soon. <laughs>